Welcome to another African Rhythms. I'm David Jones. Got an action soul-packed show with special guest Mike Ingram. Oh, it looks like we don't have you on, Mike. How about that? Am I on? I, yeah, yeah I you're. How you there doing, you are. David? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good to have you back, Mike. And I know we're going to have another wonderful show. Good to be back. And focus some more on beautiful soul music. And we're going to talk a little bit about the message, music, and soul, and some other things a little bit later on. I mean, heaven right here on earth. Um, yeah. Great songwriting people of great natural four records mm-hmm. um where he wrote and arranged some of the tunes yeah. and uh, the leroy hudson i personally don't think that 
there that bad. I'm reading um, about Leroy in the Chicago Soul, the Richard Pruda, the great book uh, written about Chicago scene. He said that he thought Leroy suffered from, he was a great arranger and singer and a musician, but he suffered from um, a lack of bad tunes, perhaps not collaborating with the right people. But I would say, in my own opinion, um, having listened to a fair amount of Leroy, I'd say that he does have some great tunes, and he had all the potential of people like Curtis and Stevie and many of the finest soul musicians, but somehow, like you say, I mean, he didn't get the breaks. Somehow, people didn't believe him or think his music was that worthwhile. I mean, he produced a couple. Well, you know, um, sometimes, David, it just it turns out where uh, a person's ego can be their best friend and worst enemy. And you know, for somebody who has talent, I mean, obvious talent like a Leroy Hudson, um, you can cut your own throat by not either being open to suggestions about where you want to take your music or, or just cutting everybody off and really being locked in on what you have and what you believe is your sound mm. and and sometimes that's not a good thing mm-hmm. you know and and it was probably that and those offshoots from that that led to the conflict between he and, uh, between uh, he and Curtis Mayfield
the last few weeks we've had a chance to cover some ground that maybe a lot of the uh, soul folks haven't really touched on and that is the the message oriented music um, a lot of times folks enjoy the music and it's 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 appreciated that they do but uh, those messages those things that are so simplistic but so necessary for humans to get along kind of get lost in the sauce and uh, I think yeah. it's good that we're going to focus on that a little bit now tonight definitely certainly soul music as great as all the singing is and the phrasing and all those things and the spiritual side of it. Also, over the years, such giants as Curtis Mayfield and Marvin Gaye have brought some quite beautiful uh, message that hopefully has enabled us all, has been food for thought. Very much so. Uh, it, because of people like Marvin and Curtis uh, taking stands like that and making it something that was addressable to the masses by going that musical route, it made things palatable for people because they had to listen they were enjoying the music and when they sat down and played it that second or third time and yeah. stuff started to sink in it seemed like okay here we're making some progress here but for every artist that was like that there were many others that didn't either have the guts or the financial wherewithal to put themselves out there in a position where they could get that kind of feedback and also put their message out in the same manner. Let's now focus on Chicago soul. Now here's some here's an area that we've wanted to focus on a little bit more and just maybe tell the people about a little bit because it's such a strong, rich area of soul music. Exactly. This this is like the big city of southern soul music because just as it was with um, people coming up from the South looking for work, Chicago was the biggest or the closest big city. And there were other cities that were of reasonable size, but they weren't offering the type of work and the uh, opportunity for a livelihood that Chicago was. Mm. So, of course, the music came with them from everywhere, from all those parts of the South. And Chicago was like the crossroads because you also had people in the Midwest, like in Ohio and further up and Chicago was like the meeting point for all of these places. It was a huge hub, and a lot of folks and a lot of musical ideas transferred through there. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the best songwriters and arrangers were attracted to the place, and um, you have people such of, as Curtis Mayfield, who was such a giant in production, in arranging, in songwriting, and he would attract other talents because they were really in awe of his talents. Yes, indeed. The, the Chicago Roll Call has some serious soul power on it. We've got Curtis, we've got Gene Chandler, Gene Chandler got yeah. Jackie Wilson, the, the, the Five Stair Steps, the Dells. I mean, there's a there's a mountain of folks who yeah. can make a I mean, serious Jackie soul was. lineup. Jackie was the biggest for a, a long time. Jackie Wilson was like the number one artist. Certainly other artists, um, this helped develop the scene, no question. I mean, Jackie had his early good years, and then later, by about 66, and we're going to focus on that higher and higher album um, uh, just a little bit. But there is an example of sort of Jackie's second wave of popularity, and that was... The, uh, the impressions around 66 and yes. other things were happening. Yes, so. indeed. As a matter of fact, had Jackie Wilson not been locked into the situation he had been at Brunswick Records, we would have heard of Jackie Wilson a lot sooner and he would have hit uh, a Michael Jackson, if you will, type of status back yeah. then as a pop performer because Barry Gordy had laid he had a success path for him, had written some of his hits like Reek Petit and all that, and had he been able to free him from his contract and sign him up with Motown, yeah. we would have heard about Jackie in the very same way that we hear about a, a Stevie yeah. Wonder or a Smokey Robinson as far as like Well, popularity. certainly everybody was in awe of him. I mean, Elvis, I mean, James Brown, they all, you know, this guy could dance like James. I mean, he could sing like nobody, you know, he had the who's who of songwriters coming in and arrangers, Johnny Pates and mm -hmm. some of the greats. 
yeah, why don't we uh, g give them a little taste? Let's start with uh, the Windy City theme by Windy City, an appropriate way to start, and then let's go right into some Jackie. Let's set it off. Beyond the feeling, goes beyond the thrill. Not just a city created from concrete, glass, and steel. Cold-blooded and outrageous, very often underestimated. Cause it's wicked and it's wild, and makes a man of any child. For the hawk can eat the apple and fly high over the cities near the sea. Life in Chi-Town, baby, is as real as life can be. Why the city by the lake has everything that it takes To teach wisdom to the wise and make the weak want to survive The hawk stole the funk from the bayou town While chocolate city is another treat that the hawk has swallowed down Hey mama, tell your children and daddy, tell your sweets If there ever was a mother, this is one you have to meet there's a group in this town that exemplifies how we get down. They call themselves... Sick and tired of those heartaches Everywhere I go Anything, anything I do Leave memories of no one but you You went away And left me that day Now I'm all alone With no one to call on Tried so hard to be the one for you, but you didn't care. You just weren't true. So now you're gone, my darling, and I'm alone in blue. There's nothing left but those heartaches from you. This hurt, hurt feeling. Show, stand with him, and soon you will know about those heartaches. No more. 
you a woman Girl, not to try to hide You didn't try to hide your love Oh, this other guy No need to explain Listening to African Rhythms on CITR, and that's the Iceman himself, Jerry Butler and Brenda Lee Eager. A very interesting duet, and apparently a hit, Mike. Very much so a hit. This was probably Jerry Butler's best 
effort. I mean, he did some beautiful ballads like He Don't Love You and uh, For Your Precious Love, but this duet that he did with Brenda Lee, with Brenda Lee Eager stands out as probably his best work ever. And uh, Brenda Lee Eager, the young lady who sang with him, uh, ended up winning an audition where she sang against uh, four or five other young ladies. She ended up winning the spot because um, they wanted something very similar to a Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell type hookup. Jerry Butler was always a, a lone wolf, never even thought about having anybody do duets with him and whatnot. Mm. And this was something that uh, he was goaded into and coaxed into at the suggestion of Gene Chandler. And mm. so, in uh, picking up Brenda Lee. And, and because it was a successful thing. Because it was a successful thing. And they wanted to go with a successful trend. Uh, the the, the uh, chemistry between them, if you will, really hit. And um, this was the very best that they could have ever have done. They followed up with um, Let It Be Me. As, as their second single mm. but um, it didn't quite reach the success of Ain't Understanding Mellow but uh, the two of them really did work well and sound well uh, sound great together yeah it's from a great album Sagittarius Movement which has uh, Donny Hathaway arranging on it actually and of course early on Jerry Butler was hooked up with Curtis Mayfield and they were the original impressions yes they were yeah, and For Your Precious Love being their big tune from the late 50s and that was I guess the seed the birth of a lot of it was the same time that Jackie Wilson came out, and so the, the Iceman and Curtis c go back quite a ways. The Iceman, Curtis, and Gene Chandler, they yeah. all go back a ways because they were doing a lot of shows together, and Gene, at that time, we were speaking about Rainbow and what a powerful little uh, operetta, if yeah, you will, Yeah, we're going to have to was. play that one in future shows. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, there but was a nice little competition going on between the three of them. Mm, yeah, and OK apparently was the label that they were on. And then they switched it all over. And a little bit later on came Curtum Records. Right, because OK at that time was a race label. You know, they were labels that they had isolated specifically for black acts. Mm. And um, OK was one of those labels. It just cut out records specifically for the black market. They knew where to send these things. They knew where to distribute, uh, distribute them and whatnot. And they were played on the black stations. Very rarely did a song on a label like OK ever cross over into the public market. Yeah, a, a common problem, certainly with this great music, is the fact that it often has not been heard, and some of the finest music, just simply because it wasn't a hit, didn't get any FM radio play, the jocks, perhaps some of them weren't hip enough or interested enough in the music. Well, you, you know, know, you got to understand something else too, David. I mean, we're we're talking about a kind of left-handed discrimination, if you will, because I mean, we have formats now like easy listening and whatnot, and I can't think of anything easier to listen to than this beautiful stuff. But because a lot of the artists are black, you do not see them getting played. And of course, when you don't get played, you don't get royalties. And when you don't get royalties, you don't get extra coin from the record labels to go on ahead and further your creative ideas and stuff. So Certainly, yeah. A hidden agenda at times seems to have been the order of the day. Sometimes. And um, all that we can do here is represent this music. Because in some ways today, some of this still goes on to some degree. Indeed. You know, it has to be said. Now let's go right back into Chicago Sounds. And another great voice who actually sounds pretty similar to Jerry Butler in some ways, Garland Green. Yes, indeed. Yeah. You see, they used to call me the heartbreaker Some even call me a troublemaker I was the baddest thing in the town Till I met you there You told my empire down You played on the player You played on 
I used to walk around every day real sharp Till you started messing with my heart You had it figured out all the time On to the last detail How you had messed up my mind You played on the player some nice uh, Chicago sounds. As the 70s progressed, the, the impressions, I guess Curtis, Leroy Hudson took over the duties on Curtis, and that was produced by Curtis, and they made a couple of albums. Not too much success, I might add. No, but I, when you have a personal change like that, where you've got someone who puts as much of a stamp on a, on a group like Curtis Mayfield does, that's, that's to be expected. Yeah, difficult. Um, I read that uh, Leroy felt constricted in that environment creatively, not even being the lead singer. And so he went solo on Curtis and made those fine Hudson 1, 2 albums closer to the source. All that early 70s stuff, which is of great quality. These impressions went through a second renaissance with when they got in Ed Townsend and Rich Tufeau. Yeah. You know, this morning when the phone rang, I knew something was wrong. You know that funny feeling you get sometimes. Sure enough, it was a girlfriend on the phone, and she told me that she said you had a fight when you got home last night. You know, it hurt me so doggone bad, because I love you so much. I love you so much. But you and I both knew that you. Later. It had to happen, girl Sooner or later It had to happen, girl If you do wrong, you know someday Cause he'd find out about you and I 
Wonderful, Curtis Mayfield, Back to the World. 
and that's what he was doing around 1974 on Curtin Records and what can you say really about Curtis Mayfield I mean ah, that's a heck of a way to end our little Chicago set here I tell mm -hmm. you uh, Curtis was um, an institution I mean everything in Chicago musically he had his hands on and um, if, if the phrase benevolent dictator fits anybody it would fit Curtis because Curtis was very much into sharing his musical ideas mm -hmm. he was very much somebody who was uh, supportive and as far as pushing uh, young talent and everything so uh, the the eventual cross swords that became what happened with him and uh, Leroy Hudson was a little sad because it wasn't I don't think something that was intentional it wasn't a a, a vindictive type of artistic clash as it was just so much you know sometimes some folks just get lost in the cracks and it seemed, it seemed like Leroy was one of those people in contrast to Curtis Mayfield who was in some ways everybody's friend had no problem like you say with influencing inspiring young talents I mean if you just think of the magnitude of just what the impressions and the influence I mean Bob Marley personally took some of his music and inspired and interpreted it as well as the rock steady whole the, a lot of mm -hmm. reggae music from that time many other soul groups and as uh, the impressions went into the 70s Curtis went solo and in the beginning he didn't go solo to stay solo he was gonna carry on with the impressions him going solo had a big impact and, uh, around that time with the impressions check out your mind and that stuff yep. he started to get funkier mm -hmm. um, he ended up making some of the most influential funky early 70s records superfly included very much so the superfly soundtrack i'm glad you mentioned that had to be one of the best tracks of that era because um shaft had uh, gotten the uh, oscar for mm. best score as a movie and so Isaac Hayes and the Stax people were in seventh heaven this was like their zenith and everything just plummeted from there but when Curtis Mayfield decided to do soundtrack for a movie um, he didn't look at it as well I'm going to just go on ahead and, and follow a set script he had some definite set ideas about things and yeah. the songs that followed from there not just Superfied at the theme song but Pusher Man and all those those were hits in their own right and it was amazing how many hits came off that soundtrack album Didn't have to be here 
was an in-depth record and I believe Curtis looked into the film and read the script and he was influenced by it and gave his own beautiful vision and being a great poet of speaking of the ghetto anyway I mean he was the perfect guy to 
represent and pretty well put down the milestone for that period. You know, in years to come, I'm sure it'll look it'll be looked back up as being the most some of the most significant music of the period. Yeah, he was the perfect man for the project, and I can remember for years no one would dare release Superfly on TV. You know, because Shaft had been on TV like mm -hmm. oh, like five six years after the fact, but no one wanted to touch Superfly because <laughs> the message in it was so strong. Yeah, it was. they didn't want to dilute it, yeah. and they wouldn't release it on TV as a you know a a edited version and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, well, even today, um, uh, some of the images in the movie are pretty heavy. You know, what it's talking about, um, the seedy side of life, the drugs and the problems that it can bring, even though he escapes in the end. I mean, the general message and the vision of the movie is a stark one. There's no question. Yeah, very dark. You yeah. can't get around what was going on there, and uh, they didn't offer any kind of uh, sugar sweet way out or some sort of beautiful solution to have everybody leave the theater smiley smiley and all that stuff it was hardcore it was down to earth yeah it was an interesting period and um, you know somebody that we've wanted to talk to let's uh, turn our attention now to Linda Jones now this is somebody I know you're familiar with because she was from the New York area she was from the New York area yeah. she was born in Newark New Jersey yeah recorded for the Turbo Records which was mm -hmm. part of Sylvia Robinson's yeah. Empire along with Stan yeah but first Loma. Now, what happened there? I guess she had the hit with Hypnotize? That's right. Yeah. And, and Sylvia just snatched her up because, I mean, Loma was one of those, uh, like, in-your-house-in-the-basement kind of labels and stuff. And when it was released, um, Enoch Hawthorne Gregory, who was a DJ at WWRL in New York City, which was New York's local soul station at the time, one of three, but uh, he heard Hypnotize and back then, you know, there was a lot of payola and stuff going on the ground and stuff. So yeah. you, know, you slip somebody some coin, they'll play a record. He took this record after hearing it and just said, don't give me a dime. And he put it on. Yeah. And right after he put it on, the station switchboards were lit up. Yeah. And everybody was just touched by the, by the passion and the, and the power of what Linda was conveying in the song. And it became a real hit for her. Yeah, I mean, such is the power. Um, versatility and range of Linda Jones singing that even opera singers I've been told turn their heads and here she is Linda Jones G, G. 
someone else, which you did. And when I saw you both together, I would smile and give you a convincing hello. And remember once you told me that I had no feelings at all? Well, please, baby, please listen to what I have to say.
Linda Jones from Turbo and Loma Records. And is it any wonder, Mike, that that is some of the great soul lovers around the world's favorite singer? You ain't kidding, man, but they, they talk about stars that burn brightly and, you know, when they normally do, they end up leaving us uh, way too soon. And, and Linda Jones was definitely one of those stars. She'd been singing since the age of six. And uh, as you could tell from those little gospel t uh, tinges there and um girlfriend knew how to go to church and she knew how to do it yeah. in a standard ballad form and unfortunately her life sounded uh, some of the passions and emotions that she delivered in those songs yeah you can hear the tragedy in her voice um, from what she was going through and apparently she had diabetes fortunately she left us too soon she died in uh, 1972 I believe yeah in her t uh, late 20s or mid to late 20s so she was very young 
a great singer. And now, Mike, let us go back to that wonderful world of Philly. <laughs> ah, yes, the Megan Brothers, yes indeed. Yeah, from this band, I mean, I know you, re you remember this song from your uh, wonderful times you spent in New York, in New York City, and which was close to Philly. Um, so. Yeah, and have relatives there. Yeah, this this band, The Futures, were on Philly International a little bit later, but this was on Gamble, which I imagine is just slightly before Philly was formed. Slightly before Kenny Gamble was trying to put together his own thing, didn't have enough funds to uh, go his own route on a solo tip, but uh, you know, eventually he became part of the Philly International mob and stuff, so it worked out for him. But The Futures were one of the groups that he was trying to get on the map because he was childhood friends with the King brothers James and John who were members of the group and uh, this song we're about to hear Love Is Here mm. was penned by Gamble and it was one of their it was actually it was, it was actually their only uh, major hit uh, outside of Philadelphia and stuff but it was a beautiful ballad yeah what a beautiful sweet soul ballad this is and we're gonna start with that and get into a little Philadelphia selection <laughs>
Hey baby, <laughs> I was standing in the bus station, I got about 10 minutes for my bus pull out, so I figured I'd call you and let you know I'd be home in about 8 or 10 hours. Yeah, I missed you, can't wait till I see you, but I want to tell you something, mm. yeah.
climbing the stairway to heaven Here we go Walking the road of ecstasy Taking the load Of this old world off our shoulders The door is wide open for you open for me Don't you ever, 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 ever,
And that's the OJs here on African Rhythms. My name's David Jones, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM on your dial. And we're going to be here right up until 9 o'clock. My special guest, Mike Ingram, and that's our short but sweet little Philly segment of the show. Can't get enough of that Philly stuff, brother. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. The OJs, one of the most uh, tightest, one of the tightest, harmonious three-man groups ever put on the planet. Stairway to Heaven, not the Led Zeppelin tune. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, there's My Prayer. I've, I've, I've featured a few of them on past shows. Outstanding. I mean, what a great label. I have people like Billy Paul, Harold Melvin, and the Blue Notes, all of these great artists, and then to be so good that even the B sides of their singles are good, you know, just says something for the quality. Exactly. That's the thing we've been touching on the last couple of shows, David. Actually, we, even the first show that um, I happened to have the pleasure of being guested with you, the fact that Philadelphia International, better than any other label, went out of their way to make sure that no matter what piece it was, no matter what project it was, the the power of the full apparatus from everybody from musicians down to arrangers producers and whatnot they did their utmost to create the best possible work that they could every song that they made was technically perfect mm-hmm. and um, we we hear with b-sides like that just how consistent they were they never took a day off or or note off if, if you will with regards to uh, putting out really quality stuff yeah there's no question and um, as I was saying previously probably the best label since Motown in the service of the popularization of soul music to the world. You know, just having the great songwriters, the great groups and um, studio musicians. um, It's unfortunate that there isn't more big label organizations, producers around today for the wealth of talent up and coming today. Oh, for sure. Because more than anything, uh, when you hear those those lush string arrangements, uh, it tells you that there's a Philly sound or a Philly International coming that with that was the signature sound that made Philadelphia the the king or the capital of sexy soul mm-hmm. those string arrangements really were the foundation even though they were beautiful beautiful voices and great musicians those strings were the signature sound that made Philadelphia stand out as a soul capital 